What's up, everybody? This is Sean from the From the Stands podcast. Listen, we have a big episode coming your way. Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet is here to talk everything Blue Jays. Ian and I break down the Game 3 from the Miami Heat and the L.A. Lakers game. Jimmy Butler, LeBron James. It's all coming your way. But first, we do have to announce we have a contest Coming your way, courtesy of the From the Stands podcast and our sponsor, Homes by Stephen. Ian, please let the people know what they can do to enter the contest. What's up, everybody? Thank you again for checking out another episode. Uh, we are giving away a Vince Carter signed photo. Uh, we have the letter of authenticity that comes with it. To enter, you must be following From the Stands and Homes by Stephen on Instagram like the post and tag a friend in the comment section for a bonus entry. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at from the stands pod. And for five bonus entries, send us a DM or message showing that you subscribe to the podcast. Don't worry. We will be sure to update our social media feeds with the instructions. And if you have any questions on how to enter DM us, we'll be happy to help. This is coming out with the podcast. So we will have all the information that you need. But by the way, if you're not following us on Twitter, what are you guys actually doing? Ian's putting out absolute fire content to the sponsor. As always, a big shout out to Stephen Liambus Real Estate. Stephen's a top producing realtor in the greater Toronto area, known for his extensive market knowledge and unmatched devotion to his clients. Whether you're looking to buy, sell, or lease, he is there to guide you through every step of the way. Please be sure to check him out at Homes by Stephen on Instagram or online at homesbystephen.ca. Enough of the plugs. Let's get to the podcast. everybody to another edition of the from the stands podcast i am sean joined as always by my brother ian ian we aren't alone we have another guest please introduce who we're speaking to today what's up everybody welcome to ben nicholson smith he is the baseball editor for sportsnet.ca and the co-host of the awesome at the letters podcast ben we appreciate you coming on guys thanks for having me it's glad it's uh, it's great to be on here so i'm, I'm happy to join all right, so let's dive right into the Blue Jays here, Ben. What the hell happened against the Rays? Was this just chalked up to this is the best team in the American League East and the Jays were a seventh seed, so the Jays are who we thought they were? Or was there more to it than that? I mean, the Jays definitely played poorly. It, it's it's too bad because, you know, they, they could have surprised some people and they could still be playing right now. I don't think it's that much of a stretch to think that that would have been possible. Um, you know, I think the Rays earned it. They're obviously the better team. In the course of 60 games, I'm sure they would have been better in the course of 162. Even in the course of that two-game, I mean, it would have been three, but ultimately ended up being a two-game series, they definitely outplayed the Jays. They fielded better, they pitched better, they hit better. So, you know, I, I think it's still a missed opportunity for this Jays team because, you know, they're young, they have a lot of good offensive players, they have some good bats, um, but but ultimately the Rays were the team that, that deserved to advance for sure. Did you feel like there's sort of a gap in this lineup in terms of a big bat, particularly in the postseason that teams fear. And I, and again, I know we mentioned pre-show that I'm a Red Sox fan, but I know from when we were going through our run, we would play 
Houston, for example, and all cheating scandal aside, when you're going through the middle of that lineup and you're like, okay, I got to go Springer, then I got to go do Altuve, then I got to go to Bregman, it just becomes like this thing as a fan that you're dreading to come. Do you find like for the Jays, they lack that bat with those young guys to sort of protect them? Well, I think they're trying to grow into that kind of team, you know, and you think about all the all the great teams in baseball, or at least most of them, the Rays might actually be an exception to this, but most of the great teams in baseball, whether it's the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Astros for years and years, the Red Sox still have a good core with, you know, Bogart's endeavors and J.D. Martinez. We'll see what happens next year after after a pretty uh, abysmal season. But um, the Jays are really obviously. good too, Ben. The Red, Sox pitching, the Red Sox pitching staff is incredible too. We oh yeah. Oh too. man. They got some work to do. That's for sure. But, um, but yeah, when you look at the Blue Jays, they're hoping that that core of players, you know, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bichette and Kevin Biggio and, and Jansen and Kirk, they're hoping that these guys can grow into that offensive core. And I don't think it's unreasonable. I mean, even this year, they were 11th in baseball on offense on a per at bat basis. So this is a good offensive team. That being said, I think there's room for them to get a lot better. And whether that's the arrival of a guy like Jordan Groshans and Austin Martin to the major leagues, whether that's the Blue Jays going out in free agency and acquiring someone, I don't know. But I think they're a good team that should have some internal improvements and should also go outside the organization and add to the core that they have. You wrote about this and you spoke about this with regards to the pitching and obviously that decision that was made by um, by Charlie Montoyo or the greater management team as a whole from the from the Toronto Blue Jays to limit Matt Shoemaker to three innings or, or a pitch number or amount of batters that he was going to face and then bring in Robbie Ray. It was very much pre, uh, pre-calculated. Uh, did you agree with the move in the moment? Because I don't think anyone can argue with the results. I know they lost, but I don't think anyone can argue with the result. Did you, do you, did you agree with that? So, yeah, I, I agree with you that six innings of one-run ball, you know, any manager is going to take that in a playoff game when you zoom out. In the moment, I thought man, I would have let Shoemaker go a little bit long, right? Even if it's just to face a Rosarena and see what happens. Maybe he hits that triple off of Shoemaker just as he hit it off of Robbie Ray. Hard to say. But, you know, in that moment, I would have let him face another batter. Now, that's not, that's without having the information that the Blue Jays had and the plan that they had, they obviously went into the game thinking that Shoemaker was going to throw two innings. Then they say, all right, we'll let you go three. So I think there's something to be said for looking at what's in front of you, looking at the game situation, reading the pitchers and, and how the swings are, are looking against him and saying, hey, this guy has a little bit more in the tank. Let's see what we can do here. And so I think that was an opportunity for the Blue Jays to do that. But, you know, on the other hand, I see the, I see the argument of like, it's better to take a guy out an inning too early than an inning too late. Because if you take him out an inning too late, maybe a lot of four runs. So impossible to know you know we can never enter that alternate universe where Matt Shoemaker went into that fourth inning but I do think that you know that it, it, it certainly I mean it's great for podcasts it's great for talk radio it's great kind of fodder for all that stuff because you never know what would have happened if they had let him go a little bit longer so I think it was popular uh, with the Jays this season with you know, taking the analytical approach in terms of trying to make sure you get that guy out early. And I think we saw with Walker and I think with Rourke too, where third before the third time to, through the lineup, they were chances are they were maybe looking at moving, uh, moving to the bullpen. Um, and to those guys, they, you know, weren't particularly happy with it in the moment, I guess. Um, are we seeing, you know, and again, Sean made a good point. It, it definitely didn't, it didn't not work. I mean, six innings, one run ball, you take that all day long. But are we seeing something that maybe works during the regular season and may not translate to the playoffs? Like, is this the equivalent of 
Mike Budenholzer and the Bucks. When they get to the playoffs, it the system that they have during the regular season doesn't work. Or do you think we're seeing something new now that more teams are going to adopt? Yeah, it's it's so interesting because I do think you see different strategies work in the playoffs compared to the regular season. And certainly even in the shortened season, some of the stuff that the Jays did this year, they could not do and they won't be able to do next year if there is a full season, whether that's you know 154 or 162 or some other number. If they play a full season, six months of baseball, you can't just you know have these uh, you know shortened outings where you're having a guy come out of the game. Guys like Chase Anderson and Tanner Roark would have to wear it a little bit more in the course of a traditional season. And so that's where their value didn't really even get the chance to materialize this year. Those guys, I mean, if they were, if the Jays had known they were playing a 60 game season, they might not even have signed Tanner Roark. Right. They thought they were playing 162. They need that bulk. All right, we'll go out and get someone who can, who can provide some innings and some stability. So you really do end up with these different skill sets. And I think that in the playoffs, and we'll see it starting uh, when the division series gets picked up um, and, and starts moving along. But I, I really think that there's a strong case to be made for really moving through your pitchers quickly. It's a little bit different this year because there are no off days, so you can't rest your relievers quite as much. But I do think that you know you can't afford to wait around for someone to you know go six innings and allow four runs. Like better have them go three innings and allow two runs sure. than than wait a little bit too long. So I do think that there's an element of kind of impatience and an element that you kind of have to rush it and force, force it and, and trust that your guys are going to go out there with their max stuff and their max effort. Yeah. And it's not why they lost. Let's, I know this was a massive topic. And again, talk radio, podcast, things like that. They couldn't hit a fastball. So uh, it's hard not to be upset at the time though, in the moment sure. we're fans. We're supposed right. to be upset. That's the whole point. Uh, and just question every decision that anyone in leadership makes if they don't win a world series, which is, not often for every other team. Um, we're going to move on here, Ben, because we've talked a lot about what's happened. What I want to get to is what's going to happen. So this is you, Ben Nicholson-Smith. You are in a grocery store that is the offseason. Uh-huh. On the shelves are pieces, players, whatever, that you can put into your grocery cart that is the Toronto Blue Jays organization. What is the first thing that you are doing and putting into that basket? Um, so it's interesting. And this is going to sound, this might be a frustrating answer I'm, I'm promise you, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to dodge the spirit of your question here, but honestly, the first thing I do, if I'm in that grocery store is I want to know the price on everything. So, you know, before you say, Oh, I need to have, you know, peaches at all costs, or I need to have oatmeal at all costs. Well, what, what are the prices? So the first thing the Blue Jays have to do is they have to have conversations with basically every single free agent. And every team to see what the trade acquisition price is going to be and to see what the, um, the free agent price is going to be and, and, and at least get a sense of that. Agents, of course, are going to be cagey and they're going to frame it in terms of, hey, you know, we, we really see him as a four year guy or we really mm-hmm. see him as compared to, you know, this other free agent. You have to read between the lines. But first up, first and foremost, you have to figure out the price because that's going to dictate what kind of, you know, to continue with the analogy that's going to dictate what kind of meal you serve. And it's not only like, what are you serving for dinner in 2021, but it's how are you stocking the cupboard for 2022 and beyond. So really, and and again, I'm not trying to dodge. I think that there's a, there's a, there's a clear need on this team for pitching. There's a clear need on this team for another bat. Those are the, the items that I think you're shopping for if you're the Toronto Blue Jays. But before you put something in your cart and you say, we're definitively going out and we're acquiring this and we're, we're going to make this purchase. I think you have to see what all the options are. Now you mentioned that 
they're going to be careful because obviously there's going to be revenue concerns. You know, what sort of spending are they going to want to do when they didn't have a ton of revenue coming in? That's obviously a big part of it. Um, but are you, let's say that they wanted to go and they wanted to try and swing big, for example. Do you see, particularly with pitching, we mentioned the issues with Rourke and, and Walker when they didn't want to come out of the game. Do you see that as an issue moving forward when trying to acquire higher end pitching talent that maybe they don't feel like they'll get their innings or is that, or, or do you think people will more look at that as like, Hey, it was a shortened season. They were trying some stuff. Yeah. I, I think it would be the latter. I think um, because if you're looking at a higher end type arm, then the, the guy that the Jays reply point to is Ryu and they say, Hey, like we let him, we yeah. let him run. Like right. he had, he had the rope to go pretty deep into games. I guess if they were in and they probably will be in on, even some of their own free agents, whether it's Walker or Ray or Shoemaker, those guys, I mean, they've seen it. So they've seen it up close. But even then, as you were saying, there's kind of that caveat of, okay, this was a different season, you know, for Shoemaker, who's coming back from injury, for for Ray and Walker, they were in Toronto so briefly that it's kind of tricky to 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 make a lot of assumptions as far as like what that would mean going forward. But I do think that if if you're approaching any kind of long season, if you're signing a starting pitcher and he's healthy enough to take the innings, then he'll get his chance to pitch those innings. Yeah, and on the pitching side as well, you know, Ross Atkins on Tim and said at the end of the season, you know, spoke to the fact that he is, you know, encouraged and optimistic about the core of pitching that they have going forward, you know, centered around Ryu, Stripling, and Roark. I got to pose it to you, Ben, um, from a personal perspective. Do you share his optimism with the names that I mentioned? And what type of depth do you think that they can pull from outside of Nate Peterson? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Roark, I mean, by falling so short of expectations, if you're counting him as a core piece, that's kind of, it's it's certainly at a lull in terms yes. of his value, right? If you look like such an innings eater coming into the season, now he just looks you know pretty ineffective based on what we saw in 2020. So of course, they'll give him some rope and see what he can do next year. but. Yeah, you know, I think starting pitching is arguably the biggest need on this club. So on the one hand, it's improved because Pearson has arrived to the major leagues. You see guys like Merriweather, who looked impressive. Hatch, Kay. I mean, these guys showed pretty well mm -hmm. in the bullpen, of course, but they, they still showed pretty well against major league hitters. So um, when you compare the pitching to where it was a year or two ago, it's definitely better. That being said, it still needs a lot of work. So, uh, yeah, I guess I, I'm... I don't think it's a total state of desperation the way it was last year. I mean, and when we saw it for so much yeah. of 2019, where, you know, the Jays would be starting Wilmer Font two out of three games or Thomas Pannone or TJ Zoy or, you know, guys who, who what we saw a year later were relegated to much, much less significant roles. So they've improved the pitching, but I, I still think there's such a long way to go. And really adding and strengthening your pitching staff is a never-ending challenge. Even if even if you're even if you're adding at the deadline and in the offseason every year, it's still never enough. That's that part's definitely true. And it feels like with relievers too. There's it's it's so odd year to year. You there's half a, you know there's a dozen guys that just come out completely out of nowhere. Um, I, I think the place I want to pivot next because this looks like something that the Jays will need moving forward is assistance on defense. And I, you know, it was talked about in the athletic, I think, you know, even at Sportsnet, it was touched on um, it, through various metrics. I mean, you can pick one. The Jays are, chances are they're in the bottom five or eight 
in, in most of those. Um, do you see that as a fixable problem or are they looking outside for help like that? Are they looking to change positions for some guys or do you think there's something they're going to have to go outside for? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I tend to think that it is fixable and I think that a lot of it comes down to experience. I mean, I, I, and here's like maybe the most obvious example of it, but if you think about those pop-ups and there must've been six, maybe five or six of them, I'll say in the course of 2020, the Vladdy Jr. just missed going behind first base, a couple at Fenway Park, there's one in the playoffs, um, and there were a few others scattered over the course of the season. And, I, you know, I just, for a major league first baseman, that's not a very difficult play. So I just can't imagine that Vladdy won't get better at those and catch, I mean, he should be catching all of those, really. And I right. think that's, I think it's achievable, really. Like, he's a good athlete, right? Like, he's, I think that's not a crazy goal. Now, of course, he has to put the work in, same with a guy like Boba Shad. Of course, we saw two errors in the in the mm-hmm. wild card series from him. Um, I think we've seen gradual improvements from whether it's Danny Jansen, Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Those guys have improved. I think it's fair to expect. I don't think it's I don't think it's like an overly optimistic, overly rosy view to look at this group of guys who are like, you know, in the case of Vlad and Kirk and Bachet, they're 20, 21 years old. They're really young still, and they're still learning. I, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that those guys can improve. Now, is it a total 180 next year? I mean, the Jays obviously hope so. They're going to try to put that in motion. I don't know that we can bank on that as people who watch this team a lot. I, I, I don't think that they're going to be a great defensive team next year. But you look at the tools and, you know, a guy like Vladdy, if he gets into better shape, the tools are there. Um, Bichette, mm-hmm. the tools are there. To Oscar, the tools are there. So I think that it's possible. But, you know, as with, as with so much improvement, if you're forecasting it, it's one thing to say, yeah, it's going to happen. It's another thing to say it's going to happen for opening day because I don't know that that's the case. Now, do you see, do you see the bigger issue of defense in the outfield or do you see it in the infield? To I think infield, yeah, right now. Because, and I think Vlad's the weak spot, really. Like Vlad's the worst defensive player probably that I've seen on a regular basis all year and you know and that's not and obviously I watch more Jays games than anything else no no of course of course you know that's and and look I mean as a Red Sox fan you you know this with Devers right like guys can make big defensive improvements in the course of a short period of time without question and and and, you know Devers did that and that's that's to his credit you see that you see that all the time with major league players so it's not to say that just because Vlad Jr. struggled you know that he can't recover from it but I, to answer your question, I do think the biggest weak spot is on the on the infield because, yeah, I mean that's and, and first base, you know, it's not like the it's not like you're going to see a first baseman who totally transforms the infield defense. But as we saw this year, you can see a first baseman who lets his team down defensively, and the Jays just have to get to the point of Vladdy's adequate. You do a very very good job of giving a lot of pertinent information about what's at hand without absolutely crushing people. So I want to <laughs> give you that that. I hate watching Teoscar Hernandez play the outfield. Okay. I've never seen a player run so slowly. Now, I know he's probably doing it to take the proper path. As a casual observer, as a fan, all I'm yelling at him is run. I don't know why. It's just something that I see. And it's just so, again, I, I heard Ross Atkins come out and say that he's an above average right fielder. I, I almost fell out of my chair when I saw that. Yeah. But, okay, but who knows? He has a great arm. It could come, I guess. You know, the outfield is going to be, I think, trickier for them, right, Ben, is the fact that. Teoscar's not going anywhere. You have to think 
Lourdes they like in left field. I think he's been he's been very very good out there, and his hitting was was great this year. The upgrade, the biggest upgrade, was probably going to be at center field, right? Yeah, I mean it's possible, right? And so I think any of those guys could be traded. You know, it's kind of like last off season, the Jays had a lot of rumors surrounding their catchers and. They were pretty open about the fact that they were listening to offers on Danny Jansen and on Reese McGuire, and nothing came of it. I, I could see the same thing happening this offseason with their outfielders. I mean, they're going to listen. I, they would. They listened on Lourdes last winter. I mean, they could listen on him. They could listen on Tay Oscar. They could listen on Gritchuk and see what comes of it. Um, certainly, you don't want to trade too many of those guys unless you have someone coming back because it's not like there's a ton of outfield depth just pushing its way through the upper minor leagues right now. I mean, maybe you look at Josh Palacios, who was added to the taxi squad late in the season. He was on their playoff pool, not the roster, but on the playoff pool. So, you know, there's maybe some guys coming up there, but, you know, we saw Derek Fisher really struggle, you know. Um, oh, that's yeah. one way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to try to not crush him either. But, yeah, Exit we saw him really King, struggle. Though. Um, you know, Billy McKinney's out of the organization, Anthony Alford's out of the organization. So you don't want to be too cavalier about moving around outfielders. I think that's a, an organizational need for them in the upper mm-hmm. minors. But, um, but yeah, at the same time, if you could acquire a great center fielder, then maybe somebody else goes back in the inner trade the other way. This is, you know, as a, again, as a Sox fan, it's hard not to watch the Jays and think, wow, if Jackie Bradley played here, it would make a huge difference. Um, and I know, you know, he's up, but it's one of those things where the bat, you never know if it's going to be there, but the fielding, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, I don't know. Do, do you think that they're going to be free agent shopping for something like that? Or do you think they're just going to, would it be something that they're looking through trade? Oh, no, I think they would look at Bradley. I, I think that they would talk to him in free agency. Um, not necessarily as a top priority, uh, right. but I think they would look at him. I, I think... I think they're going to talk to a lot of different players in free agency as they normally do, even at positions that they're already covered at. So, I mean, you think back to last off season and they met with Yasmani Grandal and um, spoke with him in person in Arizona in November. And that's the kind of, you know, if you kind of copy and paste that to this off season, do they have a conversation with JT Real Muto? Do they have a conversation True. with Marcus Semyon, Didi Gregorius? Um, you know, you could look at Andrelton Simmons too up the yeah. middle. And then at that point, I mean, all right, do you have like, quote unquote, too much catching or too much shortstop depth? I mean, sure, but there are way worse problems to have. <laughs> True. And you're, you know, you're going to figure that out, right? You're right. going to you're going to sort it out. You're going to find DH at bats or third base or second. Mm-hmm. Or someone's going to move around. It's going to work out. So I think that they're, you know, with Bradley, with any of these free agents, I, I think you have to have a conversation. If you think if you think the guy's a good player, you have to talk to him and see what he's looking for. I want to thank you both. You both are very kind because I called the Jays best pitching prospect and to be in the lineup next year, Nate Peterson. And no one corrected me as <laughs> Nate Pearson. So, yeah, you guys are very nice. Very I was going nice to text you later. Today. Like, Peterson, I can't believe it. Um, but we do have a little game we want to play with you. Ben. Sure. And so it's stay or go. Okay. And bef- we played this with Blake Murphy of The Athletic for the Raptors. but And we allowed him to do his perspective. But in this instance, I want you to give what you think the Jays' perspective might be on these free agent players on whether they are going to stay or go. Are you ready? Okay. So I say, just to be clear on the rules. So if I think the Jays are, are going to like this guy, then yes. I say go. Go is they're getting rid of him. They're not going to go Oh, after gotcha. Him. Okay. 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 So okay. if they like him, I say stay. Got it. Okay. Absolutely. First one, Taiwan Walker. Stay at a certain price. Shoemaker. Um, 
yeah, stay at a certain price. Um, I, I think one-year deal, if, if he's amenable to that, then that could work. Jonathan VR. That's a go. <laughs> that's a go. <laughs> he <Yeah>. already left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a that's a hard go. <laughs> yeah. uh, one of my personal favorites, Joe Panic. Um, I can't yeah. help it. I love that dude. Yeah. No. I, I mean, he was great. Um, I'm just trying to think. Like, is there room for him? I mean, I put it this way. I don't think. I, I think it would have to be a late winter deal. You know, where he, they're looking for an infielder. He's looking for a team. I don't think that's going to be a top priority right. in November the 10th deal. Robbie Ray. Stay, uh, you know, again, uh, at a certain price. Ken Giles. Oh, man. I mean, I, like you could do a two-year deal mm -hmm. and just basically, you know, sign him for the purposes of 2022. I don't know. I, I, I expect, I don't expect him back. So I'll say go. Everyone's, yeah, everyone's saying that and i guess he hasn't played in two years yeah. so i guess that might be part of why his his market in general is going to be super interesting yeah i mean i think he'll, if you're a, a team with some money to spend there's no reason that you couldn't sign giles to a two-year deal because you have to think like he'll just based on the standard tommy john recovery he'll probably be good in 2022 like he'll probably be a really good reliever that year so right you know that there's a lot to be said for that so but i i just I don't know that I see the Jays doing it, but um, but hopefully Giles gets gets a deal from someone. Uh, Anthony Bass, interesting. I mean, he might have set himself up actually for a nice like little two year deal. Right. Like I could see that's the kind of that's the kind of year that gets gets guys like you know multi year deals from the Rockies that kind of thing. So if he can get that, then the Jays aren't going to be the high right. better. I was, so I was just going to say go. just yeah. the type of deal that the Jays don't pursue yeah. with relief. If, if you look at the way the Jays have built their bullpen. They really, I mean, I, I remember they made the, what was it, Revere for Storin. That was an Atkins deal early on in his tenure. And so that's in a sense like you're investing in a reliever. But really, they, they've gone, they've, they've really gone with the affordable relievers when it comes to building their bullpen. That Revere for Storin trade caused massive, massive text threads between Sean, myself, our other brother, and our dad. It was yeah. wild. <laughs> um, last one, Chase Anderson. I think that's a go. He has a $9.5 million option, 500K buyout for the, for the, you know, 9 million net costs that it would, that it would take to keep him in Toronto. I just don't think, I think you can use that money better. I think after the year he had, you can use that money better. So we got a couple more questions for you, Ben. And then we have a final segment, which is called sure. quick hitters. Where we just throw out right. a bunch of stuff at you and, uh, and you answer away. But my question is obviously this was a very unique and unprecedented season, 60 games. We're going to see a lot of issues with starting pitching and getting stretched out. Nate Pearson in general is one that's going to be very interesting as he hasn't pitched a lot of innings in just regular baseball as he's so young and he was hurt this year. Do you see, what do you see from Nate come the 2021 season is, is this just like pen this guy in as a starter or are we going to have to see some, some unique things with him? I think you still start him and maybe you build an extra rest days the way they've done with Ryu um, just to make sure that he's um, you know, not getting overly fatigued. They have a lot of ways of measuring fatigue right now. Um, and, and Pearson's very open to those when it comes to biomechanical information, biometric information. So I, I expect that they'll track that. And then, you know, if his, um, you know, uh, let's say leg strength starts to disappear, for example, and I, I that's just a metric I'm making up. But you know, if if he starts to fade on some of these key metrics, 
then you need to put him on the IL, give him a breather and figure it out. So, you know, I, I think what was his, I mean, his innings total this year must've been minuscule, like 30 innings or something. So, you know, you can't, you can't, and this, this is going to apply to a lot of pitchers. You can't follow that normal progression that you would traditionally like to see. You're kind of making it up, but I think that, you know, I, I still think Pearson probably goes over a hundred innings next year. Hope and so. my, as related to that question, I think what we're seeing too is there's a real connection between what the front office wants to do in terms of protecting arms or, you know, we talked about with, you know, Walker and Roark. I don't know if I'm ever going to say his name right, but uh, that's a start um, where they're taking him out, obviously, after the, when they get to the third time through the rotation. Um, are we seeing now where are we seeing an end to the traditional manager role where these guys were making decisions on the fly. Are they simply bullpen managers now? Or are the Jays simply in a position where the front office and Montoyo are so connected in how they want to run this franchise that they do it together? I, I do think the role of the manager has totally changed in the course of the last you know, 20, 30 years, or even less. I mean, even the last 10 years has changed a ton. Um, so... That's that's part of it. Um, I don't think the Jays are unique in that respect. You know, if, if you're looking at the Astros or the Rays or the Yankees or the teams that are or the A's, I mean, all the American League teams that are left still have that. I mean, you might find the occasional team that does things in a more traditional model. Um, maybe the Royals, for example. I mean, Mike Matheny might actually have more um, authority to manage the pitching staff and bullpen as he sees fit. But I think for the most part in baseball and typically with the best teams, you do see that kind of collaboration. And it's, I understand the aesthetic concerns. Like I know it doesn't necessarily need to lead to the best visual product, but it is what it is at this point. Well, we made it. We made it to quick hitters. All right. So Ben, quick hitters is 10 or 11 questions that we ask. You can answer the question. You can pass. Uh, yes, no, whatever comes to your mind first. There's a few tricky ones in there, but again, we try and keep it, uh, keep it all in good fun. So awesome. first one, who is closer to a title? The Toronto Maple Leafs or the Toronto Blue Jays? Jays. Take that, Sean. <laughs> I just, is, I don't know. I don't know the Leafs well enough. I mean, I, it would be awesome if the Leafs won. I just don't know the Leafs well enough. Yeah, ben, I, I, ben, you're 100% right. Just so yeah. you know. Yeah, you're 100% right. <laughs> Who is the Red Sox manager next year? Alex Cora versus the field. Field. I'm taking the field. No. Yeah. <laughs> you want Cora back? Desperately. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. We all have these guys in sports where it's like, you think they're going to be great. You believe that they're going to be great, even though they get some bad luck. It doesn't turn out, whatever the case may be. The I still believe in him guy. Who is Ben Nicholson Smith's I still believe in him guy? Who, like a current player? Anything. Could be okay. anytime. I'll go for like a, a past player is like, um, I, I remember uh, Josh Phelps. I don't know if you guys were a yep. fan of like the O2 Jays. I'm sure. Yeah, you remember Josh Phelps then. Um, he had one home run off of Roger Clemens late in this season. I remember, I think it was late <laughs> in the season anyway. Um, and I was just thinking like Josh Phelps, like put him in there with Vernon Wells and like Jose Cruz Jr. And like all these, like you know, Carlos Delgado, obviously Brad Fulmer. I think I'm mixing up eras a little bit, but like, you know, Tony Batista, that kind of era of Blue Jays team. And then I thought, oh man, if they have Josh Phelps hitting bombs like that, this team <laughs> would be a force. And Josh Phelps, of course, never did, never did much of anything in his career. That's a great one. Uh, bigger possibility. The Raptors land Giannis or the Jays swing big and land someone like Lindor? Um, I could see either, honestly. I mean, at this point, Lindor, I mean, as much as Lindor would be great, it's not even like he's that big of an acquisition. He's got one year of control. 
He's coming off a 100 OPS plus season. I, and like, don't get me wrong, Lindor would be amazing. That would be a huge, you know, and the Jays will have that conversation, I'm sure. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be stunned. I really like, it's not, it's not even like that big of a, it's not like you're acquiring Tatis Jr. at this point. Oh, um, because he's just absurd. because he's a free agent a year from now. So I, I think I'd say the as long as Messiah's in place, I could see the Raptors getting Giannis, but I could see either happening. If you had to cover another sport, what would it be? Um, man, it would it would it would not be good for the readers of, of, of said sport. <laughs> um, I, I like basketball. Probably, um, I, I find basketball more compelling than hockey these days. So I, I think I'd go with basketball. I also like watching F one, but um, uh, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I wouldn't knew it. Cover that sport. I knew it. We we do research for this. We're going through the Twitter likes, and there is. I'm telling my brother, all I see is baseball. What are we going to talk yeah. to him about? And I see Max Verstappen, and I'm yeah. like, I'm going <laughs> to have to ask him an F one question. But you know, yeah. we took it out. Oh, good. I'm yeah. glad another F one fan on the pod. Uh, yeah. Ian, you're up, buddy. Of these five fan bases, which is the most tortured? Mariners, Angels, Mets, Indians, Rangers. Wow. I think it's one of the first three. Um, Mets are very tortured. Oh, Mariners. The situation's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mariners, yeah. The Mariners are kind of like this forgotten like team that never makes the playoffs. That's I don't know if. But I don't know if tortured comes to mind. And same with the Angels, because even though they obviously, you know, have, haven't made the playoffs in forever and, and it's such a waste of Mike Trout, I, I think at the same time, like they're in Southern California, they have good turnouts, you know, they have great players. So I don't know if I think the Angels are tortured. I'm going with the Mets. Okay. Both the, the both the Rangers and the Indians were what, like an inning away from winning the World Series? So it, I guess a tortured moment. The Indians are basically irrelevant. So uh, you can't really pick them. I agree with you on the Mets. Um, we saw this, this tweet from Lingo Sports on Twitter. So we want to pose it to you, Ben. What is one snack that you hate or a type of food that you hate that everybody seems to love? Well, I don't know if everyone loves it, but I, I, I don't like raisins. I'll, I'll put that out there. Because <laughs> um, they're garbage. Oh yeah, I, I'm 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 over raisins completely. And if I ever get like, I love butter tarts. Like, uh, and so if I ever eat one that has raisins, it just it it, it just ruins, ruins your day. It just ruins <laughs> because butter tarts are so good, and then someone puts raisins in them. I just I don't like that. You know, it's funny. Butter tarts would have been my answer. Oh it's really? Just, yeah, I'm completely. No, onion rings. Oh, onion you guys. Rings. I like both of those. Yeah, <laughs> onion rings. I'll, I'll I'll eat. No, no butter tarts. So uh, your colleague at Sportsnet, Kyle Bukowskis, came on the pod, and we had to ask him about his legendary hair. And oh. I, you know, we asked him about um, how frequent he gets his haircut. He said every three weeks. Is are you with that, or do you feel like that's? Are you, do you think there should be it should be more than three weeks or less than three weeks for Kyle? For anyone? For anyone? Oh, I mean, I think for Kyle it works. He's got great hair. Um, yeah, whatever he's doing, he needs to stay on that train. Um, for I mean, I don't I, like I don't really care how often people get their haircut. I, I like for me, I I like getting obviously COVID different situation, but um, sure. I like getting my haircut. So I I would like to. I mean, three weeks. I'm, I'm probably not on that kind of turnaround, but I like to get my haircut every month um, for sure. But uh, hey, everyone, everyone can do their own thing on that front. I'm not well, going to tell people. Two polar opposites on this pod, Ben. My brother's every week, and I'm every three months. So it's just oh. that's how that's how brothers are. Wow. Uh, second Used to, to be one. COVID got in the way. Second to last one for me. The meanest or angriest fan base on Twitter to Ben Nicholson Smith is. 
uh, the Jays. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Yeah. yeah they I mean, are. It's not even close. Like, yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, of course it's the Jays. Yeah. Are you, are you finding you're using the mute button like crazy? Um, no, I try not to. I, I try to, I block very selectively, like probably a couple times a year. And I mute people maybe once every couple of weeks. Oh. Yeah. You're a very nice Twitter follow. Ian would be every hour. Muting <laughs> yeah. It's um, like in all seriousness, it's like, it's people, you know, there can be some mean comments. It's toxic on there, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to make an amendment to this one. So best career. Worst of first, I had Vlad, Tatis, and Soto. That's not fair to Vlad. So if you had to pick one, Tatis or Soto, who would it be? For the for career? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That's mean. I, th- that even shouldn't be in there. That is mean. That's They're tough. both so no, good. No, no, no. Hey, like, come on. This is a baseball you're, This is a baseball show. Like, That's very fair. Um, uh, I'll, I'll say Soto. I just think if you – and like Tatis is amazing. I, I think Tatis is – the best player in the national league but um but which obviously includes soto so, so i think yeah. that he's a better player right now but i think that soto like his his skill set will age really well let's put it that way like if, if he's drawing as many walks as he is now and striking out as rarely as he is now he'll still be able to do that at 35 tatis will not necessarily be able to do all the things that he does now at age 35 so Very tatis is a better player now soto career well ben this is the last one would you come on this podcast again yeah, I'm down, guys. This is fun. Beautiful. We can we can mix some F1 in. So, yeah. everyone, thank you. <laughs> thank you for tuning in. Ben, uh, ben Nicholson-Smith, uh, editor for Sportsnet.ca and co-host of the At The Letters podcast. Check him out on Twitter. Make sure you're subscribing to his podcast. Read what he's writing on Sportsnet.ca. Honestly, an incredible, incredible wealth of knowledge from Ben. Ben, thank you again, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. Ian, we just finished up with Ben Nicholson-Smith. Incredible, incredible pod, but we got to move on. As always, we got to touch on the big story happening right now, which is the LA Lakers lose game three after being being anointed as the NBA champions after only winning two games. They lose to Jimmy Butler, Kelly Olynyk, and the Miami Heat, 115-104. Game four goes tomorrow night. What did you see, Ian? I saw a lot. Um, Obviously, the big story is going to be Butler, and I plan on getting there. Um, But I think, you know, and and here's the thing. The Heat won this game, right? I don't want to make it sound like the, you know, that the Lakers just completely crumbled, and that's the only reason the Heat won. I mean, that's just not true. I think Jimmy went in there. He punched them in the mouth, and the Lakers didn't counterpunch, and that's sort of what happened. Uh, But where I want to start is I want to start with, Anthony Davis and my, I do have concerns with how last night went. Now, do I think that am I, you know, writing off Anthony Davis? Of course, not. of course not. I mean, we came on the pod last week and I was talking about how, you know, when we talked about him as a top five player, how I think that's disrespectful. Now I think he's ingrained as one of the three best guys in the league. And I think it's irresponsible to say otherwise last night was not his best effort. He completely, completely disappeared in this one. And for people that maybe didn't catch it because you're watching football or, or, you know, doing whatever you were doing on your Sunday, um, he was only took nine shots, had 15 points and was a minus 26. Uh, part of that was in the beginning. He was battling foul trouble. 
uh, and just never really got into his rhythm. But I think the main issue with Davis here is, was, was his lack of aggressiveness, um, you know, outside of those fouls. In, in normal circumstances, we could say that, hey, Davis was being checked by Bam and Bam's awesome. Well, that wasn't the case. Or, you know, he wasn't getting good shots because the zone was getting them all screwed up. Well, that's, that was, not, the case that's not the case either, right? You know, that's the opposite of what happened. You know, I think, you know, Miami threw some Jimmy Butler at him. That hasn't worked all series. They threw some Olenek at him. Other than the charge that Kelly took, that didn't necessarily work. I think Crowder did as good of a job as you can do on Anthony Davis, and he just didn't show up. He wasn't dominant like he's been. And I think what we saw last night was that the main switch was Miami went from its zone uh, to its man-to-man. And I think that clearly flustered Davis because those easy buckets that came from him getting to the center of the zone or rebounding the basketball off of offensive uh, putbacks and things like that, that just wasn't available as much through man-to-man. The, the Heat clearly made that a priority. And I could tell people on Twitter were, you know, were imploring Spo, change it up, change it up, throw them a different look because – LeBron as the supercomputer that he is and Davis have just carved that thing up. They figured it out. So, and this also playing man to man took the, the Lakers bigs out of, out of the game, basically Howard sure. and McGee couldn't be effective. So sure. um, that was a big change. I think that could swing the series back, but I think obviously the place to start is Davis. Yeah. You know, it's, he got, had four fouls in the first half. So he had to be tentative. I'm, I'm pretty, first half or very early on into the third quarter. It was early quarter. In the third I, 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 was like I, 10 minutes left in the third. Yeah, I, okay. So either way, very, very early on in the game. But again, to your point about Bam, like this, it's not like Bill Russell standing on the other side of the of the court there. Uh-oh. And it's Myers Leonard and Kelly Olynyk, baby. It just looked like, as I kind of mentioned off the top, it just looked like the Lakers thought they won the title already. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I'm not trying to disparage LeBron in what I'm going to say, but it's just, you know, you, you get that mentality with him where he shuts off completely, no social media, all that kind of stuff. He's tweeting about the Cowboys game and the Browns game. You know, he's kind of going through all that, the motion on that. And again, he's in the bubble. What the hell else is he going to do? But it just, I, I'm not criticizing him for the, for the Twitter stuff. It's just when you do that and then you follow it up with a performance like that as a, as a whole, it doesn't look good. It looks like they were buying into the hype of, this is over. We won. This is done. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the heat. It doesn't matter who they have out there. If, they, if Jimmy Butler is able to walk and Eric Spolstra is the coach, they are going to play their effing asses off. That's mm-hmm. just how it's going to go. And, you know, Jimmy Butler overall, the heat overall are not a high usage team for one for individual players. They are very much a by committee team. They, I think they had five players in the regular season and playoffs average over 20% usage or four players average over 20% usage with, you know, sprinkling in some other stuff, you know, to me, Anthony Davis having two free throws is completely, completely unacceptable. I know you have fouls. You're also Anthony freaking Davis. Uh, I find the rebounding, the rebounding to be more concerning, more concerning than two free throws playing against Mm -hmm. Kelly Olenek and Myers Leonard. I I, I'm sorry. I'm not saying that it's just the one thing, but two free throws is, Absolutely unacceptable. It just is. And it's not like, and what I don't get is, okay, two free throws. So he wasn't one in the basket, but he also wasn't shooting threes. So it, uh, if nine shots is unacceptable, it, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. You, you played 32 minutes, dude. And I got to put some of that on LeBron. I do. Cause I'm watching it. And they went to man. They were in, basically in man the entire game, or at least when it mattered. And you're watching going, you're not hunting the pick hard enough. 
You're not, I'm sorry, you're not hunting the switch hard enough. They, he's going after Hero and Robinson. Hero and Robinson are showing on the pick while Butler sags off. And retreating. And he's just standing outside the three-point line. Like, drive the basket. I know that he was forced to guard Jimmy when it mattered because um, Caruso, Green, and uh, KCP were getting just torched by Jimmy. And so he had to exude energy, but it's also his job to get Anthony Davis in the, into the game. It's his, you want to be the primary ball handler. You want to lead the league in assists. You have to get everyone involved. It's just, there is no two ways around it. So I think, well, I think we're, 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 you know, and I think we're, where I think we should, I think we should focus on the Lakers and then go to Miami. So, cause I am completely with you. I think LeBron obviously is going to recognize the fact that Davis, let Davis get off first, get hot and get going. And then he, LeBron has the opportunity then to fill in those gaps. So I think you're absolutely right there that Davis, the free throws, is very concerning. I think you're absolutely right. And he did that the first two games. And yeah, it, felt, it kind of felt, didn't it feel like to you, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but didn't it feel a little bit to you like the MVP talk got to him a little bit? And he was like, you know, again, full speculation, but didn't it feel a little bit like I'm the MVP of this team, I'm coming out, I'm showing you? Because he came out hot. He was great early. Well, I, I, I don't, I never like to speculate on that because I, I don't know what's going on in Anthony Davis's head. What I can say for sure is that with the I first more, two sorry, games, more so in LeBron's head, my apologies, but like, no, I, I, I don't like, you know, I, it's hard to know, but the, I, I can tell you the one thing about Davis is that in that Denver series and in the beginning of this Miami series, I started to watch him and think, is that a mix between Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett? Like, that's just how it felt. And obviously those are two of the, 14 best players ever, depending on how you rank Garnett. Um, and it, obviously that is high praise, but I think, you know, obviously Davis was a problem, but I think we got to get to the second problem. And the second problem that I saw was the, the Lakers bench in depth. And we, we knew this was going to be a problem heading in. We knew Miami had a massive advantage in that area between their depth and the identity of their depth. Um, and even last night, there was just too many minutes going around to their depth guys, too many shots going around to their depth guys. And Miami still has this massive advantage, even without two of their three best players. And that to me, you know, is a little cause for concern. And listen to the guys, the Lakers that play over 23 minutes last night. Caruso played 26 minutes, eight points was a plus eight. Rondo played 28 minutes, had four, five and eight was a plus six. Kuzma had 23 minutes, 19 points was a plus six. Markeith Morris played 25 minutes, was a plus 10 on 11 three-point uh, three field goal attempts. And KCP was 29 minutes, was a minus 26, was absolutely 29 minutes, absolutely dreadful at a minus 26. So that is just too much for those players. And what it means is that Vogel couldn't find the formula that would work for that night. The threes necessarily weren't falling. And we talked about how this team set its rotation up and sticks to it. They the rotation guys may not be the 2018 Raptors bench mob, but they do all serve a purpose. But tonight, KCB and Green were complete, or last night, they were completely dreadful. And Vogel was forced to go in different directions. And it showed that they lacked, they lacked conviction and purpose. And that, to me, is a big, big concern with the Lakers moving forward. They need those guys. Too many times late in shot clocks, Morris and Kuzma are jacking up threes. Um, and you need those guys as like fifth option types as best. You cannot have those two guys getting 26 shots and Anthony Davis having nine total. It's not possible to win that way. No, well, I, I'm sorry, but to your point earlier, Anthony Davis was minus 26 in 32 minutes. So be better, Anthony, be better. You want to win? 
this is an NBA Finals. They're not just going to roll over. Everyone wants to go home. Everyone wants out of the bubble, but they're going to do their job first. They didn't come all this way just to hand you a 4 nothing series lead. So I think their depth guys actually did their job. You know, I thought they were fine. Markeith was was hitting threes pretty consistently. I think he shot close to 50% from three. It was 5 for 11. Yeah. But my point is... My point it, is 11 shots fourth, for that is a lot. In the fourth quarter... When LeBron is driving, he needs to be thinking shot or Davis. He can't be thinking drive and swing kick to Markeith Morris. That isn't good enough. That's no, my point. I, and I if think too much I, bench guys. Too well, much. And, I, and that's why I put this on LeBron. I thought he was terrible in the fourth quarter, like awful. And to your point, this is your time, man. Your your second, your Robin, who's been Batman basically for the entire playoffs, doesn't have it. But he can control the pace in such a way he can control the flow of the game. He can control and manipulate the defense that it just felt like he wasn't there. It felt like he wasn't in full. I'm going to manipulate every way that every that's my point. Leads. And it was there for him in the fourth quarter. I think they had a lead 91, 89, late, you know, what four or six, five or six minutes left in the fourth quarter. And it was there. It was there for you. Now let's talk about what Miami did. Mm-hmm. Cause what Miami did is, everything different than what they've done through the entire series. They got a lot out of Olenek. Hero came to play. They changed up their defense. And in games one and two, when they went man, LeBron hunted. And LeBron was a man on a mission. And and I would be, I, just so you know, people at home, don't be listening to this and think, or watch that game last night and think, all right, the Heat are going to play man-to-man and it's over. That's not how LeBron James is. Nothing is ever over. And he just did, he just didn't attack the way that LeBron James can attack. I'm sorry. I know he finished with a good stat line. He was still a minus for the game, but you know, I think it was a minus four. But I'm sorry. He's gonna pick this apart. And I know you had Lakers in five. I had Lakers in six, assuming all was was gonna be everything was gonna be healthy, everything was gonna be status quo. But to the Miami point, they just breath breathe life into their team. With the possibility of Bam coming back, I don't think we see Goran, but with the possibility of Bam coming back, they now have a shot. It takes one game. Yeah, they have a shot for sure. And I one think one game. You know, we, we, you know, I hate this heat culture thing where it's mentioned a thousand times. I think the Heat genuinely have an amazing organization that brings players in and pro- with someone like Jimmy as the focal point and the leader are held to a higher standard that they are always ready. Someone like Kelly Olenek did not play against Boston. And there he is being ready. Now, was Kelly perfect? No. But 17 points, played, I think, 31 minutes, three for five from three, took a charge on Davis. Like, he had vintage Kelly moments. So, to me, that is is a check to Spolstra. It's a check to that entire organization that – they have those guys ready all the time. And remember, you know, we always thought, well, if the Heat win without Bam and Dragic, it's because Robinson's going to have a game or Hero's going to have a game. Well, no, it was Jimmy Butler. And, you know, we're going to need to beat this out because this makes me mismanagement of professional sports franchises, particularly in the NBA, makes me so frustrated. But why the were the 76ers giving away Jimmy Butler, so they could save Brett Brown's job and pay Tobias Harris. Why the f- are they doing that to bring in Al Horford? Why is that the priority? This is unbelievable what we're watching. Why the f- does Elton Brand still have a job? I, I, I'm sorry. That's three beeps. 
I, I can't. This is this is ridiculous what we saw from him. And you know what? The best part about Jimmy's thing last night, game last night, was not only was he controlling the entire game, but he was getting to his spots. Analytics be damned. If he loved that mid-range pull-up or turnaround, he was taking that. If he loved the drive and floater, he was taking that. He wasn't shooting a million threes. It wasn't only at the basket. He was just getting to his spots and making the most of it count. I think he had, you know, I think he had six misses all night. I mean, to me, it's unbelievable. And all of these other places, and then I'll get off and then I'll stop ranting, but all these other places decided that Jimmy Butler wasn't a good enough teammate to give maximum dollars to. Well, here's what Jimmy said yesterday about Duncan Robinson, who was four for 12 last night and three for 10 from three. Duncan needs to shoot the ball a lot more, Butler said. He needs to hunt shots because he's going to be a reason we win one of these games. He's going to hit six, seven threes, and I'm going to jump up and down, and I'm going to hug him. And I'm going to, sorry, and I'm going to give him a big hug, maybe a slight kiss on the back of the head, because I know how important that guy is to our team. That guy's a bad teammate. That guy is a culture setter. He is a franchise changer. We're going to be starting to talk about Jimmy Butler in the Hall of Fame discussion soon if this stuff continues. Uh, this is the stuff of legends. I'm not getting into this Jimmy Butler thing with you. It's easy to be a good teammate when you're winning. It's tougher to be a good teammate when all your good players in Chicago have 76ers left. weren't winning last all, year? No, they lost, didn't they? And they had absolute turmoil inside the dressing room. They, and in Minnesota, again... Yeah, but I, hang on. I, I, hold, on term- hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, hold on. They had turmoil with the 76ers... Because none of their players, and this was the same with Minnesota, none of their players cared about winning as much as Jimmy did. No, I, I, well, again, just hold on. You got to get your point out about Jimmy. That there's, there's ways to do it and there's ways not. You, Jimmy Butler is not Michael Jordan. Michael no, Jordan can do, it, can do whatever the hell he wants within a dressing room. Okay, what the f*** have you won, Jimmy Butler? That's what I would be saying if I'm a teammate. If I, again, do I want like Cat and, and Wiggins and Simmons and MB. Do I want their work ethic in my room? Absolutely not. I do not. Now, again, I think I'm being a little rude to, to Ben Simmons, I, I, you know, but still, I don't. And if I hear Jimmy freaking Butler coming down on me, what the hell have you done, dude? You're like the third best player on your team that, that when you were doing anything good. Now it's different. Now he has a team that is constructed perfectly to fit his strengths. Now he has an organization that has a culture of winning. I know you're sick of hearing the Miami culture thing, but it wasn't just that Philly didn't want to pay him. It was a lot to do with the fact that he was a free agent, went down to Miami to have a meeting, and before he even got to Pat Riley's office, realized this is exactly where I want to play. So, but there's a reason though. There's a reason that former teammates, Dwayne Wade, Joel Embiid, like there's a reason even Cat, there's a reason these guys love him. It's not because he's a bad teammate. All of this bad teammate nonsense was was driven because, frankly, those other guys weren't about it. And they like to talk about it, but they don't want to be about it. And at well, the end of the day- A lot of it's media. Media's around. They're yeah, not used to seeing is. a lot of, of this stuff. Now, did, and- I love, did I love the way he left Minnesota? No, of course not. Of course not. Did that leave a bad taste in my mouth as a Jimmy fan? Yes, of course it did. But at the end of it, then you look and see that trash pile that that organization is following him. How can you blame him? You look at Philadelphia following his departure. I mean, you, you know, we always go back to, well, did the, the 76ers win? Well, Jimmy Butler was the catalyst of Philadelphia even having a chance against that Raptors team last year. And now look at them without him. It's a complete shit show. So look, 
Do I think that the Jimmy Butler conversation is probably somewhere in the middle? Probably. It is. Okay. Probably. But I can tell you one thing. These guys on this team love him and he loves these players. And to anyone who thinks that he's not elevating the play of these players, start paying attention because it's happening. And last night, last night we talk about driving the bus. He was oh, he, driving the damn he was bus. carrying the goddamn bus. No, I, I, I know that. Just a quick point of clarification. The only games that the 76ers beat against the Raptors, Embiid was the star, which, again, is the biggest problem with Philly, is the fact that he can't do that in an extended period of time. The only one who, who was worth a damn in Game 7 was Jimmy Butler. He was the only one who actually was giving them anything that they needed. Now, again, I, I stand by my point. It's easier to be a good teammate when you're winning. It's it's just it's just fact. I mean, they, to be fair, they do were I a think, five seed. Do like, I th- no? I again, do I think that Jimmy Butler is the cause of everything and is is like the antichrist? Of course not. To your point, it's somewhere in the middle. Will I be cheering for Jimmy Butler? Absolutely not. I, I for some, he he irks me to to no end. And well, that part's just, clear. That part's I, I, I'm, clear. I'm just I'm just sick of you know. Again, I I just don't I don't agree with someone anointing someone. I don't like someone who has all this holier-than-thou feelings towards other players when you haven't done anything yourself. You know what Jimmy well, Butler's... Hold on, on, no, 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 no. You know what he's done now? He's done it himself. He's done this. He was the he was the third highest scorer on his own team, but he was important in every other aspect. And that's what I loved last night. He was an incredible distributor last night. Yes, he had a lot of turnovers, but that's because he was trying to make things for his teammates. When he's coming out in these in these media conferences with Spolstra's jersey on, and, and do, I love all that. That's... Tyler Hero. It shows, again, and to me, it doesn't mean that Jimmy Butler is the same person he was two years ago in Minnesota, three years ago in Chicago. You can grow as an individual, and I'm glad that he's come to this place. I'm just saying, am I sitting here cheering for Jimmy Butler? No, but he's actually earned the right to talk all the shit that he's talked now. So to be fair, okay, I want to bring up two things, but to be fair to Jimmy, okay, his problem wasn't that other teammates looked at him and said, what the hell have you won? His problem with his other teammates is that they didn't work as hard as he did. They're not getting up at four in the So morning. he let them know all the time. Right, that it was and, unacceptable. And, and they looked was, at him like, well, what have you won? But, that, but he, he went from a guy who was playing junior college to a guy who faxed in his letter of intent to Marquette from a McDonald's mm-hmm. to being the last pick in the first round of the draft, averaging two points a year in his first season in the NBA, to this. Yep. To being a, one of three people – in the history of this game, history to have a forty-point triple-double in a finals game. Okay, so with a, with a seventy-point with a seventy percent field goal percentage, that was the difference. Should he be yeah. should he be holding himself to a higher standard, and and should he be accepting the fact that players that are less accomplished than him and ha- have a silver spoon mentality don't work as hard as him? Yeah. He well, absolutely hey, should. And, hey. and if Carl Anthony Towns, if you had 75% of his work ethic, if you're Andrew Wiggins, 100%. and had 50% of his work ethic, we are talking about like all NBA players. I'm not disagreeing with you. Okay? I'm, not. I'm, not, I'm, not, and, I'm not. I'm not even disagreeing with Jimmy's mentality about this. I'm not. You're 100% right, Ian. This guy, and he, I love that type of story that you, you, you weren't supposed to be here. And yet you are. And I can't imagine being someone like Jimmy where you're looking at a Carl Anthony Towns first overall pick and Andrew Wiggins first overall pick, a Joel Embiid's uh, second overall pick and or third overall pick, can't remember. And then Ben Simmons being a first overall pick where it's like, you had every advantage. And what did I, I'm, 
look at me. I'm now I now I start my own coffee you've line. Had, you've had you've had professional coaches since high school and with college you, playing AAU. All on this that other side stuff. of it, on that side of it, I'm with you 100. But so to me, and to me too, is that LeBron said to him in the first quarter, "Yeah, it's all, you're in you're trouble. in trouble." Yep. And Jimmy Jimmy hit that shot against him in the fourth quarter, and he turned to LeBron and said, "You're in trouble. Talk that talk, Jimmy." And he was talk that talk. He was because if that guy's going to try and punk you in the first quarter. I love that he used that as motivation for the whole game. Talk that shit, Jimmy. All right, Ian, we got to do it. Are you changing your prediction? Are you leaning a, a different way now after seeing game three? Well, I adore Miami. I adore everything about this team. I adore Tyler Hero. I adore Jimmy Butler. I adore Bam. I, I, I adore Duncan Robinson. Jay Crowder has been like, they're playing so hard. I oh, And I know like they're I in the finals. They're supposed to play hard. I adore this team. My prediction remains the same. I think the Lakers come out in game four, and I think they are going to smack Miami in game four. Um, I think that we're going to see – I don't think – I think we're going to see one of Dragic or Bam come back, not both. Uh, but I think that Anthony Davis is going to come out. And he's going to say to all these people that have been talking smack to him the last 48 hours, he's going to put them in their place. And I, I have the Lakers winning big in game four. I agree with you 100%, and I'm not going to change my prediction. Mm -mm. With that said, before we sign off, there is breaking news, and I want to get our quick thoughts on it before we, before we sign off. Bill O'Brien has been fired by the Houston Texans after going 0-4 to start the season. Ian, you're on podcast reaction to Bill O'Brien being fired by the Houston Texans. Wow. <laughs> uh, look, we predicted it. I'm going to go spot. back to the yeah. podcast and I am going to find when we predicted this. No, we predicted this before the start of the season. So I'm going to go back and find that clip and I'm going to send it. I, I'm going to re be retweeting that thing like crazy. doesn't surprise me. They have one of the five most important quarterbacks in the league and they are wasting his, they're wasting his prime. They're wasting his talent. I think the biggest problem now for Houston is that you let O'Brien run this show for this long You've let him Titanic this franchise for this long. Now your problem is you got to dig your way out. You got to find a way out of this mess. And you don't have your first or your second round picks this year because of the decision that he made. <laughs> they got to find a GM now. They got to find a GM and a coach. I, this is, uh, I agree with you. This is crazy. The one uh, thing I will say though, the job is going to be sought after because of how good Deshaun Watson is. Agreed. I 100% agree. Uh, and Bam Adebayo has now been upgraded to questionable for tomorrow's game instead of doubtful. So I think that we are both on the same page that Bam You'll has one a real chance of play. I, I don't think we see Dragic for the rest of the series. So, Ian, this has been great. Uh, ben Nicholson-Smith, ben Nicholson the Lakers Heat, breaking news on the podcast. Why don't you sign everyone off? I, I, I don't even know where to start. I'm completely staggered by this. I, I predicted they go one in five. Um, Oh, and four is just completely unacceptable. I don't care what your schedule is. You got to get one of those games. Um, thank you to everyone for listening. It's a blast as always, uh, to Ben Nicholson Smith, uh, absolute star. It was great having him on talking, uh, talking baseball with him. and to everyone out there. Thank you again for listening. Please be safe. And as always, wear your maps. Thank you.